If the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. God wants to finish the story. And the very thing that we would love, He enfolds in Himself all that would bring joy and life and peace to us. Welcome to The Main Thing podcast of sermons and messages from Pastor Leland Evenson. I'm Mark Evenson. We decided to squeeze in another podcast this week, given it is Holy Week. It's these particular holidays that bring my father to mind. His energy and his attention to the details for these church celebrations was considerable, and Easter was at the top of his most favorite list of church holidays and celebrations. Nothing got my father's attention more than Holy Week. He was locked in and consumed by the events leading up to Easter. Not necessarily the events and the goings-on that were currently happening at the church he was pastoring, but the events we find in the four accounts from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, from Palm Sunday to Easter morning, from the somber to the celebratory, the week carried a lot and he wanted all of it. Pastor Lee let the week roll out and progress with events and services with all eyes firmly set on Easter. Much like the week leading up to the Super Bowl, perhaps. Except this was not hype. It was a true story of a resurrection. It was the march into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, to the march to the cross on Good Friday, and the ultimate victory on Easter. My father lived it out and wanted his congregation to feel the same way. It was easy for him to get excited because he knew how the story of this week would end, celebrating a risen Savior. Easter Sunday was a busy day for Dad. I'm not sure for how many years he did this, but certainly probably through his first 30 years of ministry, he would prepare two separate sermons for Easter. One he would share at the sunrise service, which was his favorite service, then another sermon for the two services following the traditional Easter breakfast. Even though it was an early morning and a very exhausting day for him, it was one of those Sundays where he did not need a nap. I think the adrenaline and the excitement of Easter lifted his spirits physically and emotionally the entire day. The Easter services were always very special, filled with great music. Of course, he would always find a brass quartet to play at all of the services. Another one of his secrets, finding those musicians. After unsuccessfully getting a brass quartet to play at a celebration service in January, I can appreciate the fact that it's not what you know, but probably who he knew that helped him get that set up. Listening to this sermon brings back many great memories of Easter Sundays, the promise of spring and the certain renewal of our mind, body, and spirits during this Easter season. I hope this sermon will do that for you as well. The sermon today is from Easter Sunday, April 19th, 1987. It is titled, Bringing Good Things to Life. A title I think he took from a General Electric ad campaign that ran from 1979 to 1993. Well, how did I know that? Well, I looked it up in Google, of course. Pastor Lee probably could have found that out as well without having the benefit of Google. 
His breadth of research and reading continues to amaze me with each one of these sermons. It's been a high point for me in these podcasts, getting to admire his preparation and an ability to use quotes, stories, jokes, and analogies to get his point across. Speaking of, once again, Pastor Lee packs a number of great quotes and stories into this 20-minute sermon. As I was listening to this sermon, it struck me that I wish he, Pastor Lee, could have listened to some of his own past messages those last three weeks of his life. I wonder what his reaction would have been to his own thoughtful, loving, inspiring, and encouraging words. So prepare yourself. Get a pen and pencil ready to write down some of these terrific quotes. Here is bringing good things to life, Reverend Leland Evenson. This birthday was probably the most discouraging birthday I had. It was a birthday in which I had to renew my driver's license. And four years ago, when I renewed it, I was able to somehow guess my way through the eye test that they give you. And even though I passed barely, she said, it'd be a good idea for you to wear glasses when you're driving. I said, I know I have them, and I usually do wear them, but I just don't like to have it on my driver's license. This time, four years later, no way, Jose. <clears throat> I looked in there, took one look in there, and it was just one blur, and I said, excuse me, I've got to get my glasses on. And so sure enough, on my driver's license now, like on many of yours, there is an X that says corrective lenses. It's dangerous to drive, they have found out, if you can't see and focus on things that are a ways away, that are in the future, that are down the road. And so it's only for my own good and the good of other people that they have that kind of eye test for us in this day and age, so that things come into focus the way they should, so we can drive safely and not endangering our own life and the life of others. But there's even a greater danger in our lives when the future is out of focus in terms of our life and of our lifestyle and of our goals and our values. When we see only today or see only myself, because then we begin to have an attitude of eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. When the future is out of focus, so is the present in terms of our life. When I can't read the future, I can't read the menu for today and what is to be a part of this day, and so I miss much of the joy and the celebration that God would design for my life. Easter is meant to give us corrective lenses so that we can really rejoice and say, this is a day that the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it but it also gives us a lens to be able to see into the future and to say that the sufferings of the present time are nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed. The Christian faith is a future-orientated kind of faith. You see it in the lives of all of the great saints in Scripture. Jesus himself lived in terms with the future in focus when it says, for the joy set before him endured the cross. He lived always in terms of that anticipation and the coming of the reality of the kingdom. Paul was the same way. 
the sufferings of the present time are nothing to be compared with the glory to be revealed. Paul always lived with one foot in today and one foot in tomorrow and in eternity. Abraham was the same way when it says in the 11th chapter that by faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Do you have corrective lenses this morning? Do you see, is the future in focus for you? Are you living with one foot in today and one foot in eternity? If you do, then you're seeing your family correctly. You're seeing life correctly. You're seeing your job correctly. You're seeing labels in your clothes and the design of your car correctly. You are seeing everything in the correct way. If somehow Easter has brought it all into the corrective focus that Jesus wanted it to do. Dr. Viktor Frankl, who was a Jewish doctor who lived through the concentration camps of World War II, tells of his experience and says the inmates who gave up hope were the ones who died physically or emotionally or both. From this he learned that man can't really exist without a fixed point in the future. When man loses his future, he is overcome by a sense of emptiness and meaninglessness. Healthy living is living with an eye on the future. Without that, we become cynical, we become selfish, we become much, much less than God wanted us to be. We become like Alexander Pope, one of the great poets from England, second only to Shakespeare. He lived with his twisted spine and many ailments, and he described his life as this long disease, my life. Even Mark Twain, great writer, Coming to the end of his life, said, A myriad of men are born. They labor and sweat and struggle for bread. They squabble and scold and fight. They scramble for little mean advantages over each other. Age creeps upon them. Infirmities follow. Shame and humiliation brings down their pride and their vanities. Those they love are taken from them, and the joy of life is turned to an aching grief. The burden of pain, care, misery grows heavier year by year. At length, ambition is dead. Pride is dead, vanity is dead, longing for release in their place. It comes at last, the only unpoisoned gift earth ever had for them, and they vanish from a world where they were of no consequence, where they achieved nothing, where they were a mistake and a failure and a foolishness, where they left no sign that they have existed, a world which will lament them a day and forget them forever. When you don't live in Easter, you live thinking that life is a disease. You live thinking that somehow we are only accidents. And the best thing is probably never to be born, and the second best is to die early. Easter is a crossroads when we have an eye exam. When we put on these corrective lenses so we can see hope and love and purpose and work and family and houses and titles in the correct way. 
Philip Schaff said the resurrection is either the greatest miracle or the greatest delusion in all history. Toynbee, the great historian, said if there was one thing that could have shut up the church, it was a corpse of that Jew. But they couldn't shut him up. They burned him at stakes and they threw him in prison with lions and they whipped him and they beat him, but somehow they couldn't convince him they were deluded and they couldn't convince him that they'd found the body for they knew he was a living Lord who came in a living way back from the dead. And because he lived, they too would live. Our epistle lesson today talks about setting our hearts and setting our minds and setting our life It's a way of examining our eyes to see whether we live in Easter, whether we have the corrective lenses. For Paul says in this epistle lesson, set your hearts, which is the NIV, yours simply set, set your life, but this in the New International Version, set your hearts on the things above where Christ is seated. You know that you have Easter in the correct prospects when you are rejoicing in your heart. If there's that sense of daily rejoicing, that this is a day the Lord hath made, that shows you have the corrective lenses. Whenever we lose that joy, whenever we somehow become down at the mouth, it shows us that immediately we've taken off the glasses of Easter, that we really don't understand it. For Easter says he brings good things to life. Spring is a wonderful time of the year when he brings the earth to life and he brings flowers to life, he brings color to life. We have a sense of bringing good things into this room this day, the voices of you and, and the smell and the color and the sound and all of those things. It's, he brings good things to life. That's what an Easter service is meant to remind us of. And because he brings good things to life, and he brings good things to our marriages, as we heard at the Easter sunrise service, and good things to our relationships with him and with one another and with ourselves, we should be able to rejoice day by day. Yet many people live bankrupt lives. Bankruptcy is a common term today. Even Texaco, who would ever thought? And who would have ever thought in our nation there are so many people who are not only bankrupt monetarily, but also in terms of life. Suicides even among our youth, a sense of disillusionment in people who have entered into various relationships. What is your heart set on today? Is it set on the things above Many are losing heart today because of a dullness and despair in their lives. There's a young man <clears throat> went to a fortune teller to have his palm read, and she rendered this prediction. She said, you will be unhappy till you're 40. Then what, he asked anxiously. Then, she said, you will get used to it. <laughs> the trouble is we don't get used to it. You see him walking out of Wall Street. Who would ever think years ago that men who are involved in the financial affairs and leading in that are somehow so disillusioned with life they have found that even in the midst of Wall Street they have to have cocaine or something to dull the disillusionment and emptiness. 
Who would ever think that they would take basketball players from a professional team who got get all the adulation and all the congratulations and all the prestige that they too would be found with cocaine in their systems? We live in that day and age when people are trying to get used to being unhappy, but somehow you can't because he's created a restlessness in our lives. In thy presence is fullness of joy. In thy right hand are treasures forevermore. If you see Easter in the right way, your heart is set on rejoicing, on celebrating, on loving, on giving, on serving. If you really see through the, the bifocals of Easter, the robbers fell on St. Francis and took his clothes, the little clothes he had, and they were surprised when they heard him singing as they left, standing in the snow, singing his praise to God. Joy is the most infallible proof of the presence of God. I bring you good news of great joy, we heard a few months ago. The same Jesus who brought that joy brings us joy today. Bernard of Clairvaux, great mystic who loved the Lord, said, Jesus is honey in the mouth, melody in the ear, a song of jubilee in the heart which leaps to the lips. Do you have on the corrective lenses? So you're rejoicing in your heart. Secondly, he says, set your minds on the things above. <clears throat> Our day and age, anxiety and fear are what we know best. The typical American knows them well and the strain and stress of the pressures of living. The United States and Russia are both trying to get inside information, playing games with one another. The story of Easter is that Jesus is one who brought us inside information from the Father himself. He said, he who has seen the Father has seen me. He said, I go to prepare a place for you and will come again. That's inside information that somehow the tomb isn't the end but is a thoroughfare for those who love the Lord to a place called heaven and a thoroughfare to those who don't know the Lord to a place called hell. They said to those early disciples, you've got to be out of your mind. And they said, no, we're in our might mind. For we have seen the Lord and our minds are at rest. We don't have to figure it out. Jesus has figured it out for us. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Donald Mackey said, The greatest human need is not to learn how to get what we want, but rather to learn what we ought to want. And that's what happens if we set our minds on the things above not to try and struggle and try to get all the little games and all the little goodies and all the things we can lay our hands on, a typical American way of life, and still be unhappy, but to set our minds on the things above and to have the mind of Christ to learn what we ought to want. There was a woman who fought her husband's commitment to Jesus and later she said, I lost a husband I could control, manipulate, and gained a free man who loves and cares for me in a way beyond my fondest dreams. He brings good things to life. He brings marriage to life and your job to life and spring around us to life. But you can't really enjoy the beauty of spring and color unless you 
Worship the designer and the giver and the perfecter of all that it is. And finally, he not only causes us to rest our mind, he causes us to risk our life. It says, your life is hid in him. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. <clears throat> Story is told about a man whose wife had a cat that the man totally despised, was always under his feet, always leaving scratches on the furniture, always leaving hair on his pants when he'd sit down on one of the chairs. And finally, one weekend, his wife went to visit her mother. And he took the opportunity, he took the cat to the vet and had to put to sleep. The wife came home and was hysterical when her cat was missing. Where is my cat, she said. I just can't live without my cat. So the husband, to comfort her, made a grand gesture of taking an ad out on a paper and offering a $1,000 reward for the cat's safe return. <laughs> a friend hearing about the man's offer said, Man, you're crazy. That's a huge reward to offer for a cat. The man, smiling, replied, said, When you know what I know, you can afford to risk. <laughs> when you know what the disciples know, you can afford to risk. That's why they could risk their lives and being looked at as fools, being ridiculed for their faith, giving away their means of support, living entirely in the future because of what they knew. Life is a risk. You can go out to Canterbury Downs and you can bet little or you can bet much. But your life, you also are betting on something. And when you come up to the window where you bet on Jesus, he is not satisfied with a $2 bet, with a one-hour commitment. He said, for me, you either shoot the works or forget it. You either risk it all or you walk away, as the rich young ruler and many others had to walk away. You're going to win or lose. Life is a race. It's a contest. And if we know what those disciples know, then we can risk it. Risk looking funny at work as one of those religious freaks or religious fanatics. Risk laying down our goods and giving sacrificially to the work of the kingdom. Risk loving the unlovable. Risk forgiving those who take forgiveness for granted. Risk being stamped on. Risk turning the other cheek. When you know what he knows and what the disciples knew, you can risk your life, for our life is hid in Jesus. If we know him and in his power, in the power of the resurrection, as we heard in that wonderful way of the sunrise service, the power that can resurrect us and resurrect our minds and our hearts and our very lives. Beaver said to Susan in C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, she said, of course he isn't safe, but he's good, and he's the king, I tell you. Jesus isn't safe, 
No way. You never know what will happen, you see, as the disciples and the martyrs have found out and as people today, you never know where you end up. But he's good and he's the king. And he knows that this is only the prelude that we're passing through. Do you see? Has Easter put on the corrective lenses for you? So you see the future and you see the present through his eyes. If you do, then daily you can rejoice in your heart. You can rest with your mind. You can risk with your life. For when you know what they knew, you can risk it all and bet it all. For ultimately, every one of us has to be a betting person. And when we bet on him, he has assured us we live now and we live forever. Amen. Lord, thank you for taking away the guessing games and bringing exclamation points instead of question marks to our lives. Oh Lord, teach us more and more to set our hearts and our minds and our lives on the things above. To see our life is meant to be hid with you so that like Paul we can say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen. I hope this Easter message has you with one foot in today and one foot in eternity. And always remembering, when you are properly reading the future, it will be easier for you to read the menu of the present. If you are listening to this podcast Easter week, know that we are very, very close to having the website up and running. That website again is keepthemainthing.com. We will have all of the podcasts on the website and available for listening. Speaking of the website, I want to thank Danielle Alvarado, who developed the website for us. Danielle was referred to me through a mutual friend. I can imagine the conversation she's had with him since then regarding having to work with me on this project. But thank you, Danielle. You've been amazing. Anne-Marie Cross, who produces the podcast and helps with distribution. Anne-Marie lives in Melbourne, Australia. I probably have given her another reason not to move to the U.S. as well. But thank you, Anne-Marie. Lee G. and Spencer, I always appreciate your help, even though your technical support around this website development was not very stellar. I still appreciated the moral support and all the work you're doing on the recordings. All this actually would not have been possible without a lot of people pulling together and working us through these growing pains to get Pastor Evenson's sermons out there. So thank you to all of you. Most of all, a big thank you to you, the listeners, for being part of this. We hope that Pastor Lee's sermon today helped make your Easter holiday. And we hope you will keep listening as we bring many more sermons to you each week. This was podcast number five. We hope you noticed that the recording was much better than the previous four. 
We're excited that the recording quality is starting to pick up and get much better. So thank you for your patience as we got through these first few podcasts. Until next time, may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.